0: Have you had one of those days where just maybe it's an intense day, an intense season, maybe it's just a Monday, Mondays are hard going back to work, and you go, I can't wait to just get home and relax, and you kind of have this agenda for how you want the evening to go. Um, This has been an intense season for me, lots of transition, and so the other day I had this moment, long, long day, and I go, man, I just can't wait to get home, and I want to just spend time with my family. And, and I had in my mind how I wanted that night to go, just relaxing and being with the family. And uh, so I get home that night, and we're just hanging out as a family. And I know it's January in South Dakota, so I'm, I'm stir-crazy for spring a little bit, even though we've been blessed this winter. Maybe you feel the, the desire for spring and warm weather like I do. And so because I'm anticipating spring, I have a golf club in the house, and uh, I'm just... You know, I'm not swinging hard. I'm just kind of feeling. It just feels good to have the club in the hand and think about spring. And uh, as I'm swinging back, I hear this shatter followed by glass raining down over my head. I was like, what in the world? What did I even, I didn't think I was even close to anything. And I turned around and the globe that's above our dining room table is just shattered, right? In a bunch of little pieces. And it was one of those moments where I was irrationally angry. Have you ever been there? Because I was like, I just wanted the night to be smooth and easy and relaxing. And then I had to spend the next, I don't know, 40 minutes picking up glass. And one of the mysteries of the universe is how glass travels, I do not understand, like on the other side of our kitchen island, 20 feet, I said, how is there glass over it? And so I'm cleaning up glass and I'm mopping the floor and I'm irrationally angry. And my wife goes, she's much more mature than I am. She goes, Aaron, this is funny. You can laugh about this, right? But it was one of like, I had this whole agenda. I just wanted it to be a good, peaceful, and I was annoyed that I felt like I wasted all this time. I was annoyed that it wasn't uh, what I thought it should look like that evening. And and in that moment, it's kind of funny, right? But there's larger seasons of our lives where we have an idea of what we want it to look like. And and maybe you've been through a hard season and you go, you know what? I really want this next season, this next uh, whatever of my life. I want it to be a good season of blessing and of good things and, and not of challenges. And sometimes we have in mind this agenda for our life. And there's these moments where it just doesn't unfold like we wished it would. There's moments where you, you imagine the next three, four years, I want it to be this great season of stepping into simple things and easy things and good things. And maybe God leads you in that season instead to a season of challenge and struggle and difficulty. And those can be moments where we're angry and where we're frustrated. Quick recap last week, we talked about how Paul calls us to live as set apart servants of Jesus Christ, serving his plan, his purpose, his priorities. And with that comes this idea of submission and surrender. My life is not my own. My life belongs to you, Lord. And, and I think if we're honest, if I'm honest, there's moments where I go, I, I, I like this idea as long as submission and surrender to the plan and purpose of God means leading me into good seasons that don't have hard things. And I think sometimes our expectation is, well, if I'm following God and I'm being obedient, why wouldn't he lead me into good seasons of easy things? And yet over and over I've experienced in my life where God has allowed or God has led me into really difficult seasons. And it's this question of how do I surrender into what God is doing in that moment? How do I navigate what's in front of me when it looks so different from what I anticipated? So here's this key question I want us to wrestle with today. What do we do when serving Jesus and seeking his plan leads into seasons of hardship and challenge? How how do we navigate that? When when it isn't what we anticipated, when we think, God, I've I've been obedient, I'm following you, I'm submitted to your lordship, I'm submitted to your plan, and God leads us through something challenging. How, How do we come to terms with that? And seasons of suffering, I don't want to suggest to you that seasons of suffering are good. Suffering isn't good, but I do believe that good things can come out of hard moments. And I think this morning as we walk through Paul's example in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to see places where Paul says there are good things happening in and through hard seasons. Tim Keller, who was a pastor in New York City, he died of pancreatic cancer about a year or so ago. He said this about hard things. He said, just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God would allow something bad to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. Let me read that again. Just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God would allow something bad to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. And man, I wrestled with that question because so often things unfold in my life, that aren't what I anticipated, that aren't what I wanted, it's a season of hardship or struggle or trial and so often I go, God, what are you doing? And there's so often where in my limited understanding, in my flesh, I go, I don't see how God could bring anything good from this. And yet over and over I watch in scripture as God brings good things out of hard moments, as God does redemptive things through seasons of suffering. And so I want to look at Paul's example this morning to help us understand how do we navigate those seasons, those seasons those moments where God leads us through hard things. Philippians chapter one, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress in joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So let's talk about Paul's context for a moment, right? You'll remember last week he introduces himself, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Right? Paul is a servant of Christ, yielding and submitting his life to the plan, purpose, priority, the calling that God has for him. And we find Paul in Philippians chapter 1. He now describes the situation that he's in. We know two things. One, in verse 13, that Paul is in chains for defending and confirming the gospel. So he has been faithful to step exactly into what God has called him to. And because of this, actually, Paul encounters suffering. And, and, and this goes so counter to sometimes what we assume. I think we sometimes assume that following Jesus means things will get easier. I, I feel that too sometimes. And, and, and I know this is true because when things don't go according to plan, when suffering does come, I often find myself making accusations against God. How about you? God, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I wanted. And so you can imagine how Paul is wrestling, uh, maybe internally, with this idea that he's been faithful and yet here he is in prison. And not only that, but in verse 17, we read that not only is Paul in prison, but there's this group of false teachers who have risen up. And and it says they're literally trying to stir up trouble. The the word there is afflicted. They're literally trying to afflict Paul and tear apart his ministry. And so Paul's in prison. He's powerless to stop these false teachers. Paul's in prison. It seems like maybe his call and his work of the gospel, it could feel like it's all falling apart. And yet Paul doesn't respond that way. But he, he, here's the hard thing about suffering, is that suffering has this ability to distort our perspective, that often when we encounter hard moments, we have a hard time seeing that God could be up to good things. We have a hard time seeing that maybe God is unfolding His plan, and suffering distorts our perspective and would lead us to this place of thinking maybe everything's broken. Suffering has a way of moving us towards a place of doubting God's presence. Have you had those moments where you've walked through a hard season and you go, God, what are you doing? God, why are you allowing this? God, are you even here? God, do you even care? I know for me, I've shared a little bit about this, but over the summer, I lost my dad unexpectedly to cancer, and there were moments of anger. I'm going through this significant transition in my calling. I'm terrified, I'm scared to death, and the one person I would look to for wisdom and discernment and insight, the one person that I would call in the moments when I wanna give up isn't there. And there's part of me that goes, God, why did you take him now, right? He'd been in ministry for 43 years, a godly man of wisdom, and I go, you're gonna take him right before my transition? What are you doing? Why are you allowing this? Why would you not give me the grace of it? least a year in this transition with my dad present, and I watched how suffering distorted my perspective, and I watched the doubts that it raised, and there was even part of me that in that season of suffering goes, is this season just wasted? Is God not doing anything? Well, what is happening in this moment? And and I think suffering can raise all of these questions and challenges and insecurities, and yet when I watch how Paul navigates this, I found myself both encouraged and convicted. So that question, what do we do when serving Jesus and seeking his plan leads into seasons of hardship and challenge? Number one, in Paul's life, we need to realize that God can do purposeful and redemptive things in hard seasons. And and, and I think this, this goes so against our fleshly thinking that we hit a hard season, a moment of challenge, a moment of suffering, a moment of difficulty, and we go, well, what good can come from this? And that's why I love Tim Keller's quote. Just because we can't imagine uh, something good coming from bad things doesn't mean that God can't do it. He can. And what you watch in Paul's example is that God is, in fact, doing purposeful and redemptive things in and through hard season. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul continues writing to the church of Philippi, and he says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Right. So Paul's in chains and, and the, the church at Philippi, they know that Paul's in chains. Uh, if, if you know the story a little bit, they sent someone from Philippi to Paul to bring him provisions, to bring him things to help him in his imprisonment. So the church at Philippi is really invested in how Paul's doing. They would be eagerly awaiting this update. And so, hearing that Paul's in prison, they're concerned, and Paul sends this letter back to Philippi, and he says, listen, church, he says, I want you to know that all of this bad stuff is unfolding. I've got these false teachers that are opposing me, trying to bring affliction and trouble. I'm in chains for the gospel, and yet Paul says, right away in verse 12, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And and I think Paul is encouraging the Philippians church to to see this, this moment of challenge a little bit differently. That, that little word, actually, right? It says that this goes against how you might think it would unfold. You would think being in chains for the gospel feels like a really bad thing, and yet Paul says, actually, God is using this season of persecution in his life to bring the gospel to greater influence, right? So listen to what Paul says. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, So Paul's in prison. He's literally in shackles. It's likely that if he was under house arrest, he would literally be shackled to another guard. And Paul says, yet in this season of suffering, this has actually been a moment where the whole palace guard, everyone who's guarding him is hearing the gospel, is becoming aware that Paul is suffering and in chains for Christ. And Paul says, because of this, the gospel is actually moving forward and God is doing purposeful and redemptive things because of Paul's suffering, not in spite of it, but because of it. Paul continues. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Verse 14, and because of my chains, catch this, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And Paul's saying, the the fellow believers around me, as they watch his willingness to suffer on behalf of Christ, as they watch him be willing to say, I believe in Jesus, and I'll place my trust in him to the point of, you can arrest me, and Paul will continue to preach the gospel. And and even as he's in chains, the the fellow believers are watching him. And Paul says the other believers have become more confident in the faith as they watch Paul's suffering. And and I think there's probably two components to this. Number one is the example of how Paul endures suffering— But I think number two, there's the sense that Paul, a leader in the church, is willing to to follow Christ, even if it means being put in chains. And so you can imagine these other believers at a time when to follow Christ meant to lay your life on the line, they're watching Paul be willing to suffer, and they're going, if he's willing to believe, even to the point of being placed in prison, and it doesn't deter his faith, this must be worth living for. And so Paul says, as a result, other believers are becoming more confident in the Lord, And, church, I think that as we navigate seasons of hardship and suffering, and as we encounter God's grace and His goodness and His provision, even in hard moments, walking through those seasons by God's grace can become an opportunity to bear witness into the lives of others of the goodness and provision of God, even through hard moments, even through hard seasons. Paul continues writing says they've become more confident in the faith. And catch this, he says, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel, verse 14, without fear. And you really get this sense that for Paul, even in this season of hardship, even in the season of suffering, that God is doing purposeful and redemptive things. And, and I don't think Paul's chains were good. I don't think it's good for him to be arrested. And yet we can see God bringing good and redemptive things out of those moments. And I believe suffering in our life, I'm not saying hardship is good, I'm not saying suffering is good, but I do believe that God can bring good things out of those moments, and what I love about that is that it means that suffering is not wasted, it means that God can redeem all things, and that even in the moments where I want to give up, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know why you've allowed this season of suffering, I can trust that God is always on the move, moving things towards his purpose, moving things towards his redemptive outcome. And part of living as a set-apart servant in Christ is to say, Lord, I don't understand my circumstances, but I know that you do, and I trust that you are up to something even if I don't see it. And that takes submission and surrender in this place of deep faith and trust to say, Lord, I don't have any other option but to surrender fully to this thing that you're doing even if I don't understand it. So a reflection question maybe for us is, can we rest in the fact that God can accomplish his purpose even in hard seasons? Can we rest in the fact that God can do redemptive things even in hard moments? Even when it's not what we would want, even when it's not what we would choose, that God is still purposeful and God is moving things towards his redemptive purpose. So, how do we navigate these moments? One, realize that God can do purposeful and redemptive things in hard seasons. Number two, rejoice regardless of circumstances. And I find this one challenging. For, for me, in hard moments, I struggle to rejoice. I find it much easier to, to look at all the negative things. I find it much easier to complain about all the things that are broken. I find it much easier to complain to God about all the things he's not doing in the, in the way that I wish he would do them. And yet Paul responds to suffering by rejoicing. Let's go to verse 17. Paul says, the former, this is the the false teachers that are trying to stir up trouble. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me. Look at verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Right, Literally these false teachers, we're not sure who they are, but they're preaching with false motives, trying to cause harm to Paul's ministry. And yet Paul has the maturity to look at this and say, you know what? They mean ill for me. They're working against my ministry, trying to afflict me, trying to stir up trouble. But Paul goes, but they're preaching the gospel. And he says, because of this, I can rejoice. I look at this and I go, this is not a season I would be rejoicing in. And yet Paul continues uh, at the end of verse 18. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And so here's this moment where Paul says, I have lots of reasons to rejoice, and I'm going to continue to rejoice. He, He says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And and you see this this surrender and submission to the plan and purpose of God where Paul says, yeah, people are stirring up trouble. I'm gonna rejoice. I'm gonna respond with joy and gratitude to who God is and what he's done because I believe that God is still at work. And Paul says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. I will continually respond with joy and gratitude to who God is and what he's done because I know that God is gonna deliver me through this. Paul maintains hope even in the middle of suffering. He goes, I know that through your prayers and through the provision of God that this will actually turn out for my deliverance. And so Paul says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. And church, I think there's something really significant for us to hold to here. Often in seasons of hardship or challenge or suffering or persecution, we immediately go to everything that's broken, to everything that God is not doing according to our expectations. And I think we need to surrender that. And like Paul, we need to rejoice regardless of our circumstances. We need to stop letting our circumstances define our expectations of God, and we need to hold to the character of God as described in Scripture and rejoice regardless of what's happening around us. And and here's what I've started to see in my own life. When I rejoice regardless of my circumstances, rejoicing, responding in praise and worship to who God is with joy and gratitude, it has a way of refocusing my perspective, So that even when everything is going wrong, even when things are not turning out like I hoped, when I rejoice and say, God, I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful that you sent your son. I'm thankful that as Paul says, through prayer and the provision of the spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. God, I trust those things even if I have a hard time seeing them in the moment. And what rejoicing does is it shifts our perspective away from our circumstances towards the character of who God is and what he's capable of doing. And it trusts that even when the outcome isn't what we wanted, that God can still redeem those moments in those seasons, and God can do redemptive, purposeful things in and through them. And so rejoicing is this response of praise that continues to be anchored in the truth of who God is and what he's capable of doing. And so I I see this and I go, man, for Paul to be in chains and seeing his ministry being threatened, he goes, you know what, I'm gonna rejoice and I'm gonna continue to rejoice. I find that to be a challenging perspective for me to not get so caught in my own suffering that I miss the beauty of what God might be unfolding. So how do we navigate these seasons? Number one, realize that God can do purposeful and redemptive things. Number two, rejoice regardless of circumstances. Number three, remember that God is present. And I think what happens in seasons of hardship or challenge or suffering is when things aren't going how we want them to, we often start making accusations about God. Doubt begins to take root and we start to ask things like, God, are you even here? God, do you even care? Are you present? Why are you allowing this? And yet in the middle of Paul's suffering, not only is he rejoicing, but Paul is assured of God's presence in his life. Let me draw our attention back to verse 19. He says, I know that through your prayers, catch this, and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's not doing this on his own strength. Paul's not saying, I just need to be strong enough to make it through a hard season. Paul goes, no, 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 no. I'm gonna make it through because of the believers praying for me and because God has provided the spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to be present with him. And so Paul comes back to this place of being rooted in the reality that regardless of his circumstances, God is present with him in the middle of it. And I think this is so important, again, to be anchored in the truth of God's character as revealed in his word because in suffering, the lie that we want to believe is that God isn't present or God doesn't care, but Paul goes, no, 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 this will turn out for my deliverance because of the way that prayer is moving the hand of God and because I believe that God is still present with me in it. God has not abandoned you. Tim Keller, again, uh, he has this quote about the presence of God in hard seasons that, that I found really powerful. Tim Keller said, when Jesus Christ was in the garden of Gethsemane, right? He's waiting to go to the cross. And it's this moment where Jesus is suffering to the point of sweating drops of blood. Tim Keller says this. He says, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and the ultimate darkness was coming down on him and he knew it was coming, he did not abandon you. Jesus' prayer in the garden was, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. There's this moment of Jesus resurrendering to the will of the father. He didn't abandon you. He died for you. And if Jesus Christ didn't abandon you in his darkness, the ultimate darkness, why would he abandon you now in yours? And I love the truth of that reality, that the Jesus who was willing to go to the cross for us to die for us, the Son of God willing to take on the sin of the world and to die in our place that we can have life, He will not abandon us in our moments of darkness. That if God is truly ever-present, then there's nowhere we can go, as the psalmist says, to flee from His presence. And so in moments of suffering, you might be tempted to think that God has abandoned you. I promise you, He has not. And that even in those hard moments, even though you might not see it, God can do purposeful and redemptive things on the other side of even bad seasons. So let us be a people who rejoice anyway, remembering the God is present, and finally recognize that we need Christian community. I, I think sometimes in hard seasons, our temptation is to insulate and to isolate and to go, well, I'll just try to power through this on my own. I'll just try to, to, to kind of hold my, my struggles to myself, and I'll just try to power through. But, but I love how Paul addresses this in Philippians chapter 1. Look at, again at verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers, right? He's writing to the church at Philippi, this community of believers that has been praying for him. And Paul goes, I know that God will provide the the power and presence of, of the Holy Spirit. And he goes, and through your prayers, this hard season will turn out to be a place that God delivers me through. And it will turn out actually to be for my good. But for Paul, the key part of this is the faithful prayers at the church at Philippi. Right and, and, and I love this reality in ways that I don't even know how to explain in the mystery of God. The prayer moves the hand of God to action. And, and I can't explain the ins and outs of that. I, I, in the mystery of how God works, how do our prayers have an impact on these situations? I, I can't explain the ins and outs of it. And yet I see Paul saying, I know that through your prayers and the provision of God, this will turn out to be a redemptive moment of deliverance. So how do we open up ourselves And seasons of struggle, to invite people to pray with us and for us, alongside of us. To not insulate, to not isolate, to not try to do it alone, but to live in community and invite people to pray with us and for us and alongside of us. And for Paul, this idea of living in Christian community, even in a hard season, is so important that in verse 27, he comes back to this for the church. Let's read this together. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know, catch this, that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So there's that question, what does it mean to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? Well, in part, what it means right here in the context is that they would continue to live and dwell together in unity, that they would continue to strive and to struggle together for the cause of Jesus Christ, united as the body of Christ, united around the movement of the spirit in their midst. And Paul says in verse 28 that they would move forward without fear, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. He says, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So what we see there is that the Philippian church themselves are going through a hard season of suffering, And Paul, by the way, this this phrase, he says, it has been granted to you, that means it has been graciously given to you to suffer on behalf of Christ. That that phrasing doesn't even make sense. Paul says that somehow suffering for the cause of Christ is actually a gracious gift. And there's this paradox that in Christ, even moments of suffering can turn out for our good, for our transformation, for our Christ-likeness, for this ongoing work of sanctification and this movement towards holiness. And Paul tells this church that is being persecuted. He goes, you're going through the same struggle that you see me having. He goes, stay united, contend as one person for the cause of Jesus Christ. And he says, in the middle of suffering, stay united as a community. You can't do this alone. So again, how do we navigate these hard seasons? Number one, realize that God can do purposeful and redemptive things in hard seasons rejoice regardless of circumstances, remember that God is present, and recognize that we need Christian community. So with that, what what, what do we take from this? I want to suggest three things. Number one is this, look for ways that you see God's purpose in the midst of hardship. And, And I know that this is really hard, right? In seasons of suffering, in seasons of challenge, in seasons of hardship, it's hard to see that God might be doing anything purposeful, But I believe if we look and if we prayerfully say, God, would you open my eyes? Help me to see where you're at work. I believe that God will allow us to see places, even in hardship, where he's at work doing purposeful things. Number two, I want us to rejoice, to take opportunities to respond with joy to the work of God in your life, regardless of circumstances. Rejoice anyway, to respond with joyful gratitude. To say, Lord, this is a hard moment. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why you're walking me through this. But Lord, I believe that you are good. And I believe that you are forming and shaping me, even in a hard season. And when we rejoice anyway with gratitude, I believe that it will change our perspective. And finally, invite someone to pray with and for you. And be diligent to pray for other people. I I, I know sometimes in Christian circles, it's really easy as sort of a, a greeting to say, Oh, you know, I'll be praying for you. And then we walk away and forget to pray about the person. Let's not do that. Let's be a community of believers that are really diligent to pray with and for others. Because as Paul says, I believe that through your prayers and the provision of God's spirit that this will turn out for my deliverance. Let's be diligent in inviting others to pray with and for us alongside of us and then in return to pray with and for and alongside others. Would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And I can imagine the church being concerned. How's Paul doing? He's been in prison and he's been uh, persecuted for the cause of Christ. And they're maybe worried that he's not doing so well. And and I love how, as Paul writes back, he says, I want you to know. It's like he's excited to tell the Philippian church that what has happened to him has actually served to advance the gospel. And, and with that, Lord, we see that even through suffering, even through persecution, that you are moving the gospel forward. And so we know, Lord, that you are able to do purposeful, redemptive things, that the gospel can gain new ground, even in hard moments and in hard seasons. And so, Father, in the places right now where we're walking through hard things, God, would you help us to trust your grace and your provision God, would the way that we endure moments of hardship and seasons of hardship, would it be an example for other people that we trust your goodness, that we trust your sufficiency, that we trust your grace, that other people might look at our lives and go, man, they're willing to push into faith even in a season of suffering, even when it would be easy to give up the faith, they are pushing in with boldness. And may our example, Lord, embolden others in the faith as it did for those living around Paul. And Lord, regardless of our circumstances, help us to respond with a rejoicing that's rooted in your character, who your word declares that you are. And as we rejoice, as we respond with joy and gratitude to who you are and your work in our lives, Lord, may that shift our perspective to see that you have not abandoned us, that you are still moving and working and bringing things toward your ultimate purpose. And may that embolden us, Father, to live as holy people set apart for you, as servants submitted and surrendered to your purpose, Lord. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.